Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. We're getting back into our study through the book of Acts after taking a break last Sunday for our Easter service. And we're going to be looking today and beginning a a two-part look at a study I've titled, How Being Sent Out Started Out. How Being Sent Out Started Out. We're going to be covering this in Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 13. And in part one, we're going to be studying verses 4 and 5. But for some context, let's actually begin reading in verse 1. And we'll read all the way through verse 13 of Acts 13. Acts 13, verse 1, it says, Now in the church that was at at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, They also had John as their assistant. Now, when they had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O fool of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. And immediately a dark mist fell on him. And he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Verse 13, now when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. So as we spent time looking at two weeks ago in verses 1 through 3, we found this diverse yet united leadership community in the church at Antioch whose service to the Lord was rooted in their love and worship for the Lord. They were united. They were worshipful and prayerful. They they lived lives of devotion and discipline, seen in how they fasted along with their prayerfulness. And they were sensitive. They were open. They were yielded to the Holy Spirit of God who interrupted their worship, their service, their prayer, their fasting, and spoke a powerful word to them. The Spirit of God had a work he wanted to do, and he wanted to use Barnabas and Saul in accomplishing that work. He wanted to separate and anoint and and send them into something new. And after some more fasting and prayer, the other leaders laid hands on the two men as a sign of fellowship and partnership and what God was doing with them. And then they released them into the plan 
that God had for them. But with that in mind, look again at verse 4. It says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. Have you guys ever seen this? Maybe it's not as much this year, but last year it got really popular. If you're not on social media, you might have no idea what I'm about to talk about. But do you know what a meme is? Some of you are like, I thought it was pronounced Mimi. It's meme. Um, but there's these memes that were going around where there's, basically there's two images side by side. One says how it started. The other one says how it's going. And it's usually like a glow up type of thing, like how it started. And a guy posts it and it's him when he was like 15 and he's scrawny. And how it's going is like him and he's buff. And now he's like in his mid 20s and life's great and he's driving a Ferrari. How it started oftentimes is like a poor example. It's like, gosh, that was, that was kind of a bummer. And then how it's going is like, life's great for me now. I've got everything that I ever wanted and I'm awesome. And I think about how when I read how things started for Barnabas and Saul, and then we sort of fast forward to kind of how it ended for at least Saul, because in scripture, we know how Paul's life ended. It's given to us sort of his last letter even as he's in prison. But the how it started would be what we just read. Paul and Bar- Saul and Barnabas at this point, he's about to be called Paul for the rest of the New Testament, are now embarking on this new missionary venture. Seems really exciting, but as we're going to see in our text, Not a whole lot seems to happen. They go and they get there and they preach and it's just kind of like, at least for what's recorded for us, it's just kind of crickets. We could think that how it started was kind of like them standing in front of a bunch of people who were just kind of twiddling their thumbs. That's how it started. How it's going would be later on, Paul in prison, chained between guards, about to be beheaded. How it started and how it was going and how it ended for for Paul may have been a meme that no one would ever have wanted to post. It's like, because there's nothing positive there for you to go, look at how things have progressed. We'd look at Paul's life and go, wow, that progressed. And it didn't seem to progress very good, at least for him personally. It progressed great for the gospel. It progressed great for the kingdom of God being advanced into the, into the known world at that time. But when we look at how it started, how the started out, how the going out started out, it kind of was a little bit, if, we, if we're honest, it, it might leave us feeling like that was kind of a letdown. Sometimes things don't always go the way that we think they're going to go. We can be excited about something and we think, okay, yeah, we understand the beginning of it might not be great, but it's going to get better. There's this mindset that we have like, things are, things are going to get better. But sometimes, personally, they don't always get better. Sometimes they actually get worse. Verse 4, we now see the first missionary journey of Saul is about to be known as Paul. We see this begin now. He and Barnabas are forming a ministry team sent out by the Holy Spirit. They have John Mark as their assistant, they no doubt saw God's hand and calling on this young man's life. They 
wanted to disciple him as they traveled, John Mark assisting them, seeing firsthand how Saul and Barnabas ministered to others. But the Holy Spirit, again, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, was the one sending Barnabas and Saul out. He was the one who had called and appointed them for this work that he had for them. He was the one now sending them out to do what he had called and appointed them to do. But isn't it interesting that there were no details given of what that work was going to look like? I mean, when we look at verse 3, all we see is the Holy Spirit says, separate them. I have a calling upon them. I'm going to send them out. Where are the details? Where's the plan? Where's all the instruction? They weren't given those things. What they had was confidence that the Holy Spirit was doing something new. Understand they had already been used by the Spirit of God, that God had already been working through their lives in the ministry in Antioch. It wasn't that they weren't walking by faith before. It wasn't that God didn't have a calling on their lives before, but this new thing that God was going to do lacked a lot of the things that you and I seem to always need before we're willing to do the thing that we're being called to do. Okay, you're calling me to do something, but what is it exactly? God, you want to use my life, but what is it exactly? Because I need some details. I need some direction here. Does he give it to you, though? Not a lot of times. I remember the years before we moved up here in 2014 to start this church and and, and sensing that God wanted to do something with us and already being in pastoral ministry, I was already serving in a local church body, and, and, but sensing and, and, and kind of feeling like, okay, God, you kept impressing upon our hearts San Francisco, the Bay Area. We didn't really know what that was. And then over time, him starting to reveal more and more of what that is. But it took a lot of time. It took about three years of praying and, and taking trips up here before God really began to give clarity to what that looked like. But I, I think about that and how how hard it is for us in our flesh to, to know like, okay, God, you're doing something, but you're, you don't, you're not gonna give me the whole picture. God, you wanna do something with my life. You, you wanna use me, but you're not telling me up front everything that that's gonna look like. You're not gonna tell me what all the challenges are gonna be. If he told us what all the challenges were gonna be up front, I think for 99% of us, we would never do it. If we knew that there was going to be times where we were going to stand in front of people and we were going to talk to them about the Lord and they were going to shun us, reject us, they're going to not want to listen to us, we'd be like, I don't know that I want to do that. No details are given to them of what that separation and that sending out was actually going to look like. They didn't magically have a map and appear in front of them with routes marked out. Dates of when they were to travel, where they were to travel to, who they were to meet with and preach the gospel to. 
a, a detailed list with step-by-step directions of how the Spirit of God was going to lead them. No, all we're told is that the Holy Spirit wanted to separate them. He had a work for them, had a, had a calling upon them. And the next thing we know, the other church leaders are praying for them and the Holy Spirit's sending them out. Now, I know some of you may have a bit of a crazy adventurous streak in you and maybe the idea of just hopping into a car and driving without knowing where you're going could sound awesome. But for many of us, that would be unthinkable and unreasonable. That kind of non-plan could be crippling for many. We might say, you know, if I don't have a plan, if I don't have a destination, if I don't have direction, I'm not doing it. Many of us would probably say that. But I want us to consider the life of faith. And I want to remind us of two important foundational passages here in the beginning of our time. The first being Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. The second being Acts chapter 1, verse 8. First, Matthew, 18, or Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said this, or Jesus speaking, he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Second, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus speaking before his ascension, he said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. As we consider the life of faith, understand that we're not without a plan. God's given us his commission. We're not without a destination because he's told us to go into all the worlds. And we're not without direction. He's given us his word and his spirit. Yet we can find ourselves crippled and unable to move forward because there are so many unknowns. We're not without a plan or destination or direction, but what we're lacking most of the time is all the details that we want to know up front before we'll decide if we're going to live by faith for Jesus or not. But added to that, the the plan of Jesus to advance his kingdom through the witness of our lives is highly relational. His mission and his kingdom is all about people, and people can be scary and mean, and weird, and difficult, and awkward, and unpredictable. The list could go on. And we're supposed to go to them? We're supposed to love them? We're supposed to serve them? We're to share the gospel with them and disciple them? Too many Christians excuse themselves from great commission living because they think that that's only the job of missionaries or church leaders. You know, maybe they would say, well, I've never heard, I've never received a powerful and clear word from the Holy Spirit separating 
me, anointing me, calling me to a specific work like Barnabas and Saul. So they come to the conclusion that the Spirit of God doesn't have a work for them, and and he definitely isn't calling or sending them. But the reality for all of us as disciples of Jesus Christ is that if we're saved, we're sent. If you're saved, you are sent. If we've received his forgiveness, we've been called to be his witnesses. Understand, go into all the world is a sending statement. Now, how that going and that sending looks is going to be different from person to person. It's going to look different from one day to the next. It's going to require dependency and faith from each of us each day. We're not going to get a map or directions or a step-by-step list, but as we love and worship the Lord, as we hold fast to his word and seek to live it out, as we listen to the voice of his spirit, we will start to see how he's sending us, how he's speaking to us, how he's filling us, how he's leading and directing us, how he's empowering and using us to make an eternal impact in the lives of others for Jesus and his kingdom. And I would venture to say that for a lot of us as Christians, that work that the Holy Spirit is wanting to send us into is not actually a new place or a change of scenery. No, it's probably just new or fresh eyes of faith to see the work he's already placed before us. Those good works he just wants us to walk in, the people he's already positioned in our lives that he wants us to be an ambassador of Jesus towards to share the love of Jesus with. I want to ask each of us this morning, and this question is definitely for me as well, are you, am I, really walking or living by faith? And if not, why not? What's stopping us this morning? See, Paul declared this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He said, For we walk by faith, not by sight. You know, truthfully, it's a lot easier to walk or live by what we can see and figure out on our own. If I can see it, then I'll believe it. If if God reveals his will, his plan for my life, then I'll trust him and I'll move forward by faith. But then that's no longer faith, is it? You know, I believe the Lord is calling many of us out into greater places of faith, of trust, of dependency upon the Lord. Wanting us to stop letting what we see and feel and even what we've gone through in the past decide for us whether we'll live by faith in the present and whether we're going to trust the Lord with our future. Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They left a thriving ministry in Antioch and were not told that they received any clear next step, next step after that. But as they sought the Lord fully and trusted him completely, I believe the Lord began to impress things and places and people 
on their hearts. And for Barnabas, that place and people was where he grew up. His heart was no doubt burdened for the place he came from, the island of Cyprus. Wanting to see God do a radical work through the gospel and the lives of the people there. Where, he'd, where, where they'd come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And I believe that burden became a source of direction by the Holy Spirit. Their missionary journey began with them traveling down to Seleucia. It was a seaport about 16 miles south from Antioch on the Orontes River in modern-day south-central Turkey, where they boarded a ship and they sailed first to the island of Cyprus. Barnabas, who was named first among the church leaders in Antioch and who was also named first by the Holy Spirit when he spoke to separate Barnabas and Saul, seemed to be the leader of this missionary journey initially. And this thought really is reinforced with their first stop being where Barnabas was from. But now look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, And when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Again, We might wonder how they made their decisions in these missionary journeys as they weren't given all the directions up front. But what we find is them no doubt seeking the Lord, staying humble before the Lord, seeking to listen to the Lord and live by faith, obeying the promptings of the Spirit, and then naturally, supernaturally making decisions and taking steps while being open to the Spirit's leading holding their plans with open hands, trusting that he would lead them through open and closed doors as they move forward in faith. And this brought them to the eastern coast of the island of Cyprus. They arrived in Salamis, which was the largest city on the eastern side of the island. And wasting no time, they find some Jewish synagogues in that city and preached the word Of God, no doubt connecting the Old Testament scriptures to the Messiah, to Jesus. And they had John as their assistant. See, Barnabas and Saul at this point in time didn't have any New Testament writings to refer to. They couldn't say, well, Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Oh, they're like, hey, you remember in Isaiah? Remember when Isaiah spoke of. The Messiah, remember the the virgin who would conceive a son and the government would be upon his shoulders and he'd be called the everlasting father, prince of peace, mighty God. Well, see, there's this man, Jesus, and he came on the scene. He was born of a virgin. And he lived a perfect and sinless life and they were able to connect the Old Testament scriptures to the life of Jesus and I think for us, oftentimes, we, we take for granted how Jesus is all over the Bible. We might not read his name in the Old Testament, but so many things point to him. This is why Jesus, when he was walking with the two men from Emmaus, the day he was resurrected, it said that he opened their minds and he began to expound to them all the things talking about from Moses onward, how those things pointed to him. 
that we would learn to be able to do that as well. They preached the word of God. They started with their brethren. Saul and Barnabas were both Jewish ethnically. They went first to the synagogues wanting their fellow Jews to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and receive his salvation. They might not have known who to talk to, but they did know who to talk about. You ever feel like you just don't even know where to start? So you just don't? I don't know what to do, so I just don't. I don't know what God wants from me, so I'm just going to stay here. I'm just going to become a little sedentary. I'm going to kind of buckle myself into my seat. When God's ready, he'll move me. But we're like, we become an unmovable object. We want him to show us where he's going to send us first. Then we'll move. I'll get up out of my chair then. Instead of seeing that, okay, maybe we don't know who to talk to. Maybe we don't know what that next thing is. But we do know who to talk about, and that's Jesus. This is a great example for us today to make sure that we're giving people Jesus, magnifying Jesus, pointing others to him. These two men had just come off of a pretty radical season of ministry in Antioch where they were teaching a great many people, the disciples first being called Christians in Antioch, seeing a a move of great generosity and care for the Jerusalem church as the church in Antioch came together and put together a financial relief package to send to the Jerusalem church. And then being in a ministry environment where the Holy Spirit spoke to them and the other leaders separating Barnabas and Saul for the work that the Holy Spirit had for them. But now they're in Salamis. And we're not given any sort of details on any sort of fruit, any sort of results from their time preaching the word of God in the synagogues there. Luke doesn't record anyone getting saved. And they just seem to sort of move on after this in the next verse and travel to Paphos. But understand, as we consider that this morning, that the fruitfulness of something And this is definitely true spiritually with gospel proclamation. The fruitfulness of something is not always seen outwardly in the ways that we expect or desire it to look. How many of you have ever shared the gospel with someone and that person didn't respond immediately or maybe at all in faith? And you felt discouraged or maybe even felt like a failure. And maybe that made you more reluctant to share the gospel with someone else. Well, what happened? You preached the word. You declared the gospel. You gave them Jesus. But it didn't seem like there was any fruit. Let me remind us this morning that the problem is never with the seed. Never with God's word. It's never with the gospel. The problem is that the soil of people's hearts have to receive that seed by faith. 
Check out what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. He wrote there to a sort of divided church that kept wanting to sort of elevate their teacher that they liked. And he said, Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither, neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. You know, sometimes we're not seeing fruit because we're being called to plant the seed in the moment that someone else is going to come along and water. And God's going to use that watering of someone else's witness to bring that person to salvation. And other times, someone else has already been planting the seed of the gospel, and they never got to see the fruit. But then God brings us along to water that seed, and, and he might use our witness to bring a person to salvation. So it's, it's not about us seeing fruit in the moment. It's about us trusting Jesus and being faithful in the moment to point others to him, planting or, or watering the seed of the gospel and trusting that he's able to do that soil work in people's hearts that only he can do in order to bring them to a place of surrender where they'll put their, their trust in Jesus for salvation. Check out what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. See, for Barnabas and Saul, them being sent out didn't start out with great revival breaking out. Didn't start that way. They get to Salamis, they preach the word of the synagogues. And again, Luke doesn't record anyone responding in faith, no one seemingly getting saved. But it did start out with them living by faith and having great confidence in the power of the gospel of Jesus to save people's souls. And that's a confidence that we need to have and that God wants to give us today as we seek to live by faith and make our lives about Jesus and his kingdom. You know, this morning, as we consider again this life of faith, what exactly are we waiting for? What exactly are we looking for? Are, are we looking for everything to be smooth? Because for Saul and Barnabas, it wasn't smooth. In fact, what's going to happen is, is opposition, satanic opposition from a sorcerer and false prophet. If we're looking for everything to be smooth, to be the signal that God's in something, then you and I may never respond to the signals that he's giving us. Are we, are we looking for all the details up front? Are we, are we wanting God to make it abundantly clear that he'll just spell things out in the clouds for us and then we'll move forward in faith with the things that he's calling us to in his word? Guys, we're gonna always be stuck in a position of being on the sidelines 
looking at what God's doing with other people that he actually wants us to be a part of, but we're kind of disqualifying ourselves. This morning, we consider these men, we consider this being sent out by the Spirit. We consider how things started. And, you know, maybe for some of us, we've got our little meme already in mind. Like, I know how it started. I know what my life was like when Jesus saved me. And maybe we're looking at how, how it's going currently and we're going, look, it's, I know it's not supposed to be like this. I know that God has more for me than what I'm currently involved in because look, when we start to prioritize just the normalcy of life above the kingdom of God, there's always gonna be that part missing. As we were created for more than just going through the motions You and I have been created to know and love God and to make him known. This life of faith, yes, it can be scary. Yes, it's highly relational and that can bring a lot of anxiety to our minds. I know many people who have a really hard time even just talking to people. But look, the Spirit of God is wanting to do something in and through each of our lives. Like I said, if, if we're saved, we're sent. What else are we looking for? What else are we needing from the Lord this morning? Are we needing more grace? He's got it. His word says that he gives more grace. That he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Are we in need of power this morning? He has a supply of it that is unending for you and me to live out the kind of lives that he's called us to live in his word. Are we needing boldness this morning? Oh, we see the apostles in the early church experiencing persecution in Acts 4 and they prayed for boldness and guess what? The Lord showed up and shook the room and they were filled with boldness. He's got boldness for us. He's got courage for us. He's got strength for us to live out these lives of faith that he's called us to. The question is today, will we trust him? See, faith and trust are synonymous. I live a life of faith, it means it's living a life of trust. And this morning and every morning and every day, God's saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? Will you trust my plan? Will you trust my goodness? Will you trust my provision? Will you trust that I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Guys, I pray this morning for us that we would take this exhortation 
to live lives of faith that bring glory to the Lord. I'm gonna have Regina come back up in closing this morning. As I said earlier, I I believe the Lord's calling many of us out into places of greater faith, greater trust, greater dependency upon the Lord. I believe he's wanting us to stop letting what we see and feel and what we've gone through decide whether we're going to live by faith in the present and trust him with our future. Whatever the Lord's speaking to you this morning, whatever maybe area of stirring or encouragement or equipping that that we would respond to those things this morning, not hardening our hearts to what the voice of the Lord is speaking, but opening up and saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Lord, here I am, use me. God, help me to trust you. And then see what he does. Watch how he works. But look, if you've joined us this morning and you don't first just have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the one thing that God's calling you to this morning is to a a step of faith in putting your faith in him. And seeing that the sacrifice of Jesus upon the cross is for you. That his forgiveness is for you. That his free gift of salvation is for you. All he's wanting from you this morning is to turn to him by faith, to trust him with your life, with your eternity. Would you guys pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you that, Lord, you know what you're doing. God, thank you that you have a plan that you've given us direction and a destination, Lord. You've you've given us your spirit, Lord God. You've left us your word. You promised to be with us. Lord, help us to take these things to heart this morning. God, to see that, Lord, we were created not to just live for ourselves, but Lord, to live for you. To be about your kingdom, to be about you, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray in these days, Lord, that we would maybe get our eyes off of ourselves or off of the things of this world, Lord, that we would get our eyes focused on you and Lord, that we would take to heart, Lord, that The days are short. God, that we would see, Lord, that you have a plan, that you want to use us. And God, would we walk in those things that you've put before us? Lord, would you give us fresh eyes to see the opportunities, Lord, that abound around us, Lord, the people that you position in our lives, God, that you want us to be a blessing to or to to build up or to share your gospel with, Lord God. I pray that you would lead us today, that, Lord, you lead us each day, Lord, that we would live lives, God, not just of trusting you with our salvation, but, Lord, trusting you 
with our present, Lord, the things that are going on around us. God, that we would trust you, Lord, that you are able to give us what we need, Lord, to serve you well, to bring glory to you, to be about your kingdom. God, would you draw us out, Lord, of complacency, draw us out of apathy. Lord, draw us out of compromise, maybe. God, into places of greater faith, greater surrender, greater dependency, greater worship and love of you. God, be glorified. If there's anybody here this morning and you've never just opened your heart and faith to Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, to be your savior, to be your Lord. I want to give that opportunity this morning. If there's anybody here, I'm going to ask you to make a a bold confession of faith by standing where you're at. That you would say this morning, that's me, Jesus. I want you to save me. Jesus, I want you to cleanse me. You know, maybe there's some online even who've joined us and that's, that's you. I just encourage you that you'd in your heart say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I need your salvation. Would you save me? Jesus, would you forgive me? Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. Jesus, I believe that you rose from the grave. Jesus, this morning, I put my faith in you. I surrender my life to you. Would you seal me with your spirit? Would you empower me by your spirit to live for you? Jesus, I confess you this morning as my Lord. Help me to live for you. I just encourage you as you've done that, that the Bible says that those who confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, those who believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, they will be saved. You will be saved. But look this morning, maybe for others, I just feel led in the moment to just ask as we've been talking about this life of faith and thinking about the things that God calls us to. And maybe for you, you're recognizing this morning that a life of faith is maybe not what you've been living. Maybe you've been walking by sight and not by faith. Maybe you sense the Lord calling out to you to live a life of greater trust, greater dependency. And this morning, you would stand with me to say, Jesus, that's me. And I want you to do a fresh work in my life that I would live by faith. I I see you, yeah. Anybody else this morning that you would say, that's me? You know that Jesus is calling out to you to places of greater faith, greater trust, greater dependency, greater surrender, maybe. Anybody else this morning? Yeah. Anybody else? Standing doesn't mean you're saying, look, I'm a sinner, I'm blowing in, I'm living in sin. Standing is saying, God, I want to live by faith. I want to I live for you. I, I really do.
Is there anyone else? Yeah. Lord, this morning for those that have stood, the finger that was raised, the hearts that maybe were a little timid to stand, but know that that's them as well. God, would you, God, just do a fresh work by your spirit in our lives, God. Lord, help us to cling to you. Help us to trust you. Lord, would you give us a boldness and courage? Lord, would you give us power, Lord, to live differently? Lord, to bring you glory, to be those ambassadors, Jesus, that you called us to be. God, would you meet my friends this morning? Lord, as we respond to your word now in praise, as we take the communion elements and remember your body that was broken, your blood that was shed. Lord God, will we continue to commune with you? Lord God, would we see you, Lord, in a fresh way, God? Would we be, God, overwhelmed with who you are, Lord God? And would we worship you because you're worthy, Lord? You're deserving. And so God, we love you. We thank you. Bless my friends. God, would you send us out from our time today in the power of your spirit? to be light and salt in this world, to draw others to Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.